where our sole goal is to try to help our church wrap their hearts and their brains around the amazing, amazing nature of Scripture. A lot of times it gets super easy to think of the Bible as something that's very distant, or I don't really get it, or I don't, certainly don't get the Old Testament, or how it all fits together. And so we wanted to take from September to April to try to educate ourselves on the story of the Bible by chronologically going through the timeline of Scripture. Um, we, we ordered up a ton. How, how many have we ordered now of these, Brent? 900. 900. And, we've, and we're down to the last couple boxes, right? All right, so um, we ordered them, and we wanted people to be able to get their hands on them and just be able to get into them. Um, so if you'd like a copy of the story, if you don't have, they're five bucks. If you don't have five bucks, you can just take one. Um, but if you do have five bucks, that would be great. And you could jump in right where we're at. But right now, what we're doing, or where we're at, is we're in chapter 14. And this, is, this has uh, been a really crazy uh, just journey, going from creation to God recognizing the fact that after sin has come into the world, that he's communicating with, with his creation that your sin is not the end of the story. That, that even though this happened, Adam and Eve, this sin has happened and it has put an expiration date on every single thing, that is not going to be the end of the story. That one day, out of your own line, out of the line of humans, there's going to come someone who's going to be the one who can triumph over the work of sin and death and Satan. And we, and we see that throughout the course of, of, of God's history with his people, he keeps on protecting this minority movement of people who call him the one true God. He, in the midst of their sin, in spite of their frailty, his patience just continues to endure with his people, ultimately getting to a point where they're not only freed from, from slavery, they're actually in a portion of real estate he promised to them 400 years prior. And now that they're, they're in this, this portion of real estate, they get a chance to, to have a, a government where they have one true God and king. And they're following God that's different from everyone else around them who wants to have a physical king. And that lasted not that long before they all wanted to have a physical king that they could follow to which God reminded them, you do this and this king is going to send your sons off to war and he's going to tax the snot out of you. And that's exactly what happened. As soon as they got people, they realized these kings were not as perfect as God because they were human. And they disappointed them over and over again. But then came David. And, and David, David being this, this amazing second king was someone who everyone looked at as this amazing example. And then his son Solomon. And now we're getting into First um, Kings, uh, starting with chapter 12, if you have your Bible. It's, again, chapter 14, page 193, if you have your story, where we start to get into how this picture of kingship is continually breaking down. Which actually brings us to, to a fantastic uh, pivot where we're at just in our own culture. I'm not talking politically at all. We're actually going to be talking about two people, two individuals, two kings that have radical similarities with us in the failures that we have in our own decision making. Now, Sunday is, is a special day on the calendar. And what is that? You're right. Yes, it is. New Year's Eve. And, and on New Year's Eve, a lot of people have a custom. And what is, outside of drinking, what is their custom? <laughs> Shooting guns. All right. <laughs> Don't mix the two. All right. Yes. Making resolutions. Now, how many, okay, listen, you could be honest, right? Be, you could be honest. How many of you have honestly, I'm not, no shame here, okay? I'm not going to say that you're an idiot for making resolutions. How many of you have already thought about resolutions 
for 2018? Things that you'd like to see different. Okay, awesome. How many of you, not at all. I haven't made any resolutions. Okay, a majority of us. How many of you who raised your hand that you're not going to make a resolution are not making a resolution because you realize every time I say I'm going to do this, I wake up and realize I don't. How many of you are, are, are not making resolutions because of that? Okay. How many of you are just independent thinkers and you just don't go along with everyone else? Yeah, you wish. All right. So the truth is that most of us have been disappointed by our own failures and frailties. And so when we're trying to make goals, we, we, we make these goals and these dreams that we want to see a difference. But the problem is that we have a 100% failure rate when we disconnect that from God. In fact, if, if you're looking for one thing to hang tonight's brief time together on, it's this. If we divorce our dreams from God's direction, we end up disappointed. If we divorce our dreams from God's direction, and honestly, let's be honest, a majority of our resolutions are just, I, I want to be a better person. I, I want to lose some weight. I want to get in shape. Or I want to I I, I stop doing this or whatever. But if we divorce our dreams from God's specific direction, we will always end up disappointed. And tonight, where we're at in Scripture, we, we see that in spades with these two guys, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. These guys are, are guys that come on the scene, and we're going to actually look at, at their story. But if, just to give a little bit of a historic backdrop, Rehoboam is, is the first, he's actually going to be a king in the south. Up to 930 BC, Israel is unified, and the temple is right there in Jerusalem. Things are good. But in 930 BC, all of a sudden, there's a civil war. And this, they all of a sudden split between the north and the south. The south now being called Judah, because it was Judah and Benjamin, the two, two tribes down there. And all the other ten tribes we talked about previous in this series are all like calling themselves Israel. We are the true Israel. You guys, you're just Judah. Now, Rehoboam's in the south. Jeroboam's in the north, and we take a look at his account in this passage. If you have your Bibles again, it is in 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, first 16 verses or so, story page 193. Take a look at this. Rehoboam went to Shechem. By the way, Rehoboam is someone really, really important son. Does anyone remember who his son is, who, who he is the son of? Solomon, right? So Solomon is, is the epic king, the wise king. He's making massive architectural breakthroughs. He's brilliantly smart at the same time, so, so dumb because he keeps on not doing what God, God says. I want you not to marry all these other people groups, not because of their race, not because of their ethnic backdrop, but because of their faith was rooted in pagan religions. And God told him, you, you do that, it's going to start to spoil your own faith with me. And you're going to start sharing, and that's exactly what happened with Solomon. Rehoboam is the next guy up. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy, heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Okay, pause real quick. Here's where Rehoboam and Jeroboam come into the mix. Jeroboam was tight with Solomon. In fact, he kind of thought, maybe I'm going to be the next guy. And a prophet said that it was going to happen. A prophet said, Jeroboam is going to be the king over everything. And Jeroboam tries to jump the gun and take the kingship from Solomon prematurely. Solomon, not cool with that. Solomon's got all the guns. So Jeroboam flees down to Egypt to hide out until Solomon dies. So now when, when now it's now this opportunity to step into the throne, the son of Solomon is right there saying, no, 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 this is my deal. And so the people are confused. Who do we follow? 
the son of Solomon in the line of David? Or Jeroboam? Or who do we do? What do we do? And so they, they come and they're kind of testing it out with Rehoboam, saying, look, your dad taxed us big time, and he forced us into slavery. We're not cool with that. What are you going to do with your administration? Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer the people? He asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted the young men who he had grown up with and were serving him. And he asked them, what's your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? This is what the young guys say. The young men who had grown up with them replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. To which I just wrote, yikes, what is wrong with this guy? That's the counsel. That, now, he could have said no to them. But three days later, after Jeroboam and all the people returned from Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days, the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father has made a, your yoke heavy. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. He even memorized the speech. So the king did not listen to the people, for his turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the, the prophet. Now, this is the important thing that we need to understand here. God's work is in this. God's work is even in, Jerobo in Rehoboam's failure. But the thing that we need to be reminded of with Rehoboam is that we need to remember that our vo the voices in our head matter. The voices in your head matter. And that sounds like you're schizophrenic. You're, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the voices you choose to occupy as your narrative matter. Who are the voices that we allow to be in our head? Parents, the Holy Spirit, friends, what culture, fear, our past mistakes, all these things, they, they ricochet around in our head all the time, mine at least. And what we do is oftentimes we don't, we forget the fact that when we are wanting to make a decision, oftentimes the voices that we've allowed to be our prime counsel steer us the wrong direction. Rehoboam had an opportunity to listen to the wisdom that his father's counsel had, and he rejected it to listen to people in his same generation. This is important, whether you're young or you're old, do not think that your generation has it nailed. Do not think that your generation, whether you're an old person, you think, we're the only people who've got it right. Or you're a young person, think, man, the people who are old, have, are, they're messed up. We're the ones who've got it right. Recognize that your culture has handicaps and blind spots you don't see. Remember that the voices in your head matter. So as people who are trying to make the decisions in our own life, as we're going into 2018, we can learn from Rehoboam, and we could actually, as, as Christians, can say and simply do this. We can ask, what does God call me to be in Christ? As I'm thinking about the major decisions for 2018, I'm going to start off with this. What does God call me to be in Christ? And then surround myself with those kind of people. What does God call me to be in Christ? And surround yourself with those people. In other words, 
You cannot get to where God dreams for you to be without like-minded people. You cannot go and impact people who are dissimilar from Christ if you are surrounded by people who are dissimilar than Christ all the time. God has called you to actually have a kinship and a community of people who are throttling you forward. And, one of the, and part and parcel of that is to be the type of person who's actually able to ricochet around thoughts about, I don't know what to do with this, and realize I can figure out what does God call me to do and start to surround myself with those kind of people. That's one of the, the big reasons why we, we emphasize small groups, whether they're real-life groups or CR groups or high school small groups or um, re-engage, is because we know that one of our values as a church is real relationships come first. The relationship we have with God needs to stem into a relationship with one another for us to become the thing that God has called us to be. But Rehoboam is not the only one that we can learn from. We could also check out Jeroboam. Because again, God promised Jeroboam he was going to be king. And so you think, whose side is God on? Boop, 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 boop. Jeroboam. This guy's got to be on God's side, but we recognize real quick, not so. Take a look at 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 to 33. Or if you've got your uh, copy of the story, it's on page 196. This is after the fact that Rehoboam and some people, they're trying to, the people who were who with Rehoboam, after he laid in that heavy thing with scorpions and whips and being more harsh, they bail. They're like, forget this guy. You know, we're seceding from this nation. We're going to be our own people. You can, you can just be on your own on that. And they made Jeroboam king. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, which is up in the north, and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to the Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah. Pause. Where was Jerusalem and the temple? Which kingdom? The north or the south? South. And so if these people are followers of the one true God, where are they going to make their sacrifices? South. Where are they going to go to for all the, the great religious festivals? So that means that they are going from your kingdom, crossing over the other king's territory, and worshiping. Where are their most significant religious experiences? South. And so all of a sudden, Jeroboam starts to get radically insecure. Even though God's promised him something, he starts to get big-time insecure. And what he ends up doing is this. He, he continues to say, what am I going to do? After seeking, next verse, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. Pause. Again, this is the second time in this passage that we see that advice can be a really, really messed up thing for your destiny. You can get really, really bad advice from people who claim that they really, and perhaps even do, really, really love you. Jeroboam is taking what God has told him and he decides to trade it out. And what he ends up doing is creating two golden calves. And again, every time a Hebrew reader would hear that, they would think right back. Right back to what God saved him from. Right back to when Aaron did that at the, at the base of Mount Sinai. Now some scholars think that, that, that Jeroboam wasn't being overtly pagan here. That, that a common old ancient practice was to have two of these golden calves, illustrating that, that that's not God, but that there's some invisible God standing on both of them, proclaiming his sovereignty over the land. But the problem was that Jeroboam was so disconnected from God that people didn't pick up on that if that was, in fact, his intent. And they go, 
This is our God. And even on top of that, listen to what he says. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up out of Jerusalem. Go, go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Once he set up in, one, one he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this, this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as to Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. Jeroboam is creating his own religion. Jeroboam is excited about the fact that in order to preserve his political standing, he's going to affix himself to a faith that the people dig at the time. And he disconnects himself from God. The way that we avoid this in our own decision-making is by attaching our goals to God's work in you and through you rather than just a better you. Jeroboam's perspective is not, what is God calling me to do? Jeroboam's perspective is, what can I do that's going to help me out? When our goal, when our, our perspective is not from God, what ends up happening is that we end up um, having goals that are made all about self-glorification and self-preservation rather than God's glorification. See, in 2017 into 2018, all these decisions that we're making, these resolutions that we're, we're swirling around, or possibly even thinking, even if you're not a resolution person, what key decisions am I going to make? Make sure that they're gospel-flavored. Maybe they're flavored with the gospel. And, and what the gospel is, is it's a message to a chosen people to impact everyone else. The gospel that we have in God is this, that God has called us to spread the reality of what God has done to bridge the gap between us and him. And that's not something that's just New Testament. See, God called his people to do that way back in, in Genesis chapter 12. See, God calls Abraham to, to have him as the one true God, as him as his one true king. The covenant between them was that they would follow his lead. And that in the process of that, not only would God bless them, but he would bless the entire world through him. And the thing that we see in Scripture talking is that through you, all kinds of people, all races of people, all cultures of people, all religions of people are going to be impacted with this gospel message. This gospel message is more important than your salary. This gospel message is more important than your aspirations. Those things are all legitimate and real and valid. But the most important thing we could do on planet Earth is recognize that with Christ as our king, with God as our king, all of a sudden this impact can go and reach not just people like us, but all kinds of people. And progressively from Solomon on, we see that impact dissipate bit by bit by bit by bit. And eventually what we end up seeing is that all kinds of people are not being blessed through God's people. With Christ outside of the picture, all kinds of people are being influencers, not the influenced. These people who are desperate without God these people who are desperate without God's perspective are not being blessed by God's people. God's people are losing God as king. And by process, they're getting close to all kinds of people without any hope of helping them out. 
One of the things that, that when, we, when we think about the, the fact that God has called us to make gospel-type goals, we have, to, we have to infuse that into even our own resolutions. Um, one of the websites, uh, uh, websites top 10 um, things that people are making resolutions for in 2017, which isn't a shocker because this could have been 1995's list. I'm going to live healthier. How many in here would like to live healthier next year? How many of you would not like to live healthier next year? <laughs> I believe it. All right. How many of you, I, I want to live healthier. I, I, I want to, I'm going to be financially wiser. I've made some really, really dumb purchases. I'm in crazy amount of debt. I'm in a crater. But 2018, it's going to be different. Third, I'm going to start dating. I've been waiting for someone to come to me, but I'm going to, I'm going to get serious about this. Or, or I, I'm going to actually, I'm going to date differently than I have been. Next year, it's going to be different. Or, or I'm going to experience new things. I'm going to have new adventures, and this is going to be a new life. But again, if your goal is not gospel-flavored, it's end up going to be just about you. All of your resolutions will be about you. And guess who fails the most in your life? You. And so when we make all of these goals about us, who's failing you? You are. I am. And what we end up doing is disappointed, and we give up like three weeks in. The third week of January is the most depressing week of the year for people because they realize it's not going to happen again. But 2019. <laughs> difference. The difference between that and a kingdom mindset where Christ is king is simply this. It's not different resolutions. It simply asks the questions, for what ultimate purpose? You want to be healthier? Great. For what ultimate purpose? You want to be financially wiser or start dating or experience? Great. For what ultimate purpose? Because again, if you divorce your dreams from God's direction, you're going to end up, third week of January, disappointed. This is not merely Jeroboam and Rehoboam's story. This is more than that. It's actually, it's Israel's story. One of the things that we see in subsequent chapters of First and Second Kings is the fact that kings don't get better. They get worse. In the southern kingdom, there's 20 kings recorded. You know how many were good kings? Eight. Eight of the 20. And, and they weren't perfect. They simply tried to honor God and reduce the idolatry in their land. That's the only thing that made them good. Do you know how many kings out of the 20 were good in the northern kingdom? Zero. Zero out of 20. And so th this is something that's not an us thing. It's a them thing. And, it, and the thing that's frustrating is that you feel like, why is the Bible incorporating all these terrible examples? I'm not getting anything out of hearing other people's failures. I'm not, I'm not encouraged by the fact that I see this king was messed up. And this king, even though all this progress had happened to reduce idolatry, this, came, this king came in and he, and he shot it all to smithereens by bringing back in the pagan idolatry. What is the purpose of that? And then you start to realize that perhaps God is incorporating in all of the messed up stuff to let these people who are desperate for a king know that there's only one king that would possibly fit the bill, the same king that they had, the same king that they put their trust in, but they traded out, that they sold out to try to have an experience where they could follow a leader that they could, they could put their arms around. See, see, the amazing thing is that when we get to Jesus, who proclaims himself as the king. And he's hailed as the king of the Jews. And not only the king of the Jews, the king of kings. All of a sudden, we recognize 
all of our resolutions and all of our perspectives boil down to, if he's my king, what is he saying? In fact, if, if you want an amazing resolution for 2018, I'll just give you one. And it'll speak into every other resolution you'll probably, possibly ever have, but it'll do better than that. It'll incorporate all of your failures and all the terrible things that happen next year. Here it is. In 2018, I want the person of Jesus to be more alive in me than in 2017. In 2018, I simply want the person of Jesus, the image of Christ, which is if if you're a Christian, he's there. I simply want the image of Jesus, the person of Christ in me, to be more alive than in in this past year. Now, this is why this is important. Because if you have that kind of a statement overarching your decisions, overarching everything else, then, then what happens? What happens when in the midst of your resolutions, in the midst of you trying to do these good things, what happens when someone in your family dies? 2018, I still want the person of Jesus to be more alive in me in this disaster than in 2017. What about when you go through suffering? What if this year you get fired? And you're desperate because you're, the finances were, were massively like, tough and tight beforehand. But now, now you've been fired. Or, or what happens if, if you're in school, you're in high school, and all of your friends turn on you, and you feel the most alone you've ever felt in your life? If this is your resolution, it's still alive and well in the midst of that suffering because the person of Christ was the suffering servant. You have someone with you who knows what you're going through. In 2018, I want the person of Christ to be more alive in me than in 2017. Because what we end up doing is this. We always think next season will hopefully be better. If you've been a Cubs fan, you've been breathing that. I mean, you've been drinking that Kool-Aid forever. Next season will be good. And we do this. We're stressed out. We're frantic. We're frustrated. But you know what? I got a feeling that the beginning of 2018 is going to be a little bit lighter. You're freaked out. You're frustrated throughout the spring because it wasn't lighter. And you're like, well, at least in the summertime, we're going to have a little bit of reprieve. And you go through the summer and you find out that you just radically, you make more and more busyness in the summertime. And we keep on thinking, at least then it's going to be a little bit downhill. Then I'm going to actually have a little bit easier pace. I told you about how this past year in August, I had a chance to go on a backpacking trip with my brother and uh, uh, four of his friends, three of his friends. And it was one of the most amazing, epic experience, but again, the hardest experience of my life because we were at elevations like 12,000 and 13,000 feet where the oxygen was really, really thin for an Illinoisan. And as we're going up and up and up, and we're just carrying these packs, and it's tougher and tougher. Every step feels like we're being robbed of more life, and we're going to pass out any time. We just kept praying, God, please, just give us downhill. And all of a sudden, we'd come to a crest, and we'd start to go downhill. We're like, woohoo! this is awesome. This is all what I've been hoping for, praying for. This whole time going up, I'm now going down. Until you've been going down for a long time and you realize this was easy, but it's no longer easy. It's now, very, it's now difficult for a different reason. Have you ever been in that situation where you've desperately wanted a different, I, man, if I just had a, a relationship, then I would feel complete. And then you have a relationship. And you're like, man, this is complicated. If I just had a job, man, I just, I just need a job. And then you get a job, and then they're demanding of your time, and you don't have the freedom you had. If I just had kids, God, if I just had kids, that, that would complete me. And then you have kids, and you're like, God, take them away, take them away. 
Why? Because we do that. When we're doing this, we're just praying for this. We're doing this, we're praying for a change up. On that trip, all of a sudden, I realized the reality of what Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and Isaiah 45, 2 have said. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, you may know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths, what? Straight. In Isaiah 45, 2, God says, I will go before you and I will level the mountains. You have a lot of communication about traveling in the ancient world because they didn't have vehicles and horses were hard to come by. So if you're traveling up and down and up and down, you're not praying for down. You're not even praying for up. You know what you're praying for? Level paths, straight paths. When we would get to 25 feet of that, we would be praising God because at least we're going on level ground. Was it still difficult? Was the O2 still limited? Absolutely. But there was something about the level path that was different. It wasn't up, it wasn't down, it was just steady. And what God seems to be saying through scripture is this. If you are with me, if I am your king, there's going to be ups and downs in life, but as long as you know that I'm with you, I will be making your path straight. Is the oxygen still limited? Yep, that has not changed. Is the fact that you're still in the wilderness and you could get attacked by a bear still there? Absolutely. But there's a marked difference for somebody who's walking with me and making their goals about me than someone who's going solo. The truth is that we look at all of our resolutions through this lens. In 2018, I wanted to be the person of Jesus. I want the person of Jesus to be more alive in me than in 2017. So I go right back to that resolution. I'm going to live healthier. And again, a kingdom perspective just says, for what purpose? Why? Francis Chan um, is a pastor and, and author, and he one time talked about a time where he was asked to go and pray for someone in the hospital. This guy was like not doing well. And he goes, and he says, and the, and the guy's like, oh, pastor, I'm so glad that you're here. And he said, yeah. And he says, pastor, just pray for me that I get healed. And he says, well, hold on. If you get healed, what's going to be different? And the guy's like, what? What kind of a jerk are you? <laughs> Can I get another pastor? <laughs> if I pray for you and you get healed, what will be different in your life? Is your life going to continue to be about you? Because I, I don't want to pray for that. I know you're a Christian. I don't want to waste the rest of your life or anyone else around you. I'd rather you go and meet your maker right now and, rather than wasting the rest of your life. But if I pray for you to be healed, will your life be about him? Because if that's the case, then I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to live healthier. I'm going I'm to stop. I'm going to stop smoking. Or I'm going to stop drinking as much as I used to drink. Or I'm going I'm to start working out. Or I'm going to eat healthier. But to what end? What is the motivation? Well, I'm going to live healthier so that I have as much energy as possible to serve God as long as possible. I want to live healthier. I'm going to try to eat better and I'm going to try to work out, not just so that I look more fit or people find me reasonably attractive. I'm going to do it because I want to have more days in the tank to serve God with all that I've got. Amen? What if, what if your, 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 your resolution is, I'm going to be more financially wiser? Cool. For what? So you can buy more stuff that you're going to sell in five years at a garage sale? You want to be wealthier so you can have cool stuff so that you can feel valuable because you never had it growing up, but now you got some money and, and now you can actually buy the stuff your parents never could so you could feel like you've arrived? Yeah, that's going to disappoint you. If not now, when you actually are able to do that, 
what if in 2018 I want the person of Jesus to be more alive in me than in 2017? That I'm going to be, I'm going to be financially wiser so that I can have more freedom to be more generous with what God has entrusted me. Pray to that end. Be resolute to that end. Sign up for financial peace. We've talked to people in this church who've been in crazy bad debt and they've been able to get the tools to get out. Not just that they've got the money now to buy cool stuff. They realized that that was the problem that got them into the crater in the first place. But they actually have the ability now to live more freedom, to, to bless more people, to impact people through this church, to bless ministries and missionaries. And they are more alive now than when they had the stuff that got them into debt. I'm going to be more financially wiser so that I can have more freedom to be more generous with what God has entrusted me. What if I, your, your, your thing is I'm going to start dating or I'm going to date differently this year? Cool. God's pro-relationships. He's not anti-relationships. But why? So that you feel secure? So that you feel loved? Because I'm, I'm going to guarantee you, if you're not in a relationship right now and you are in 2018, everything that makes you feel secure about yourself will be challenged by this person. They will disappoint you and they're going to let you down. I'm not trying to be a bummer. I'm just trying to be a realist. So what's the end? What's the ultimate purpose of you starting to date this next year? What if you made your resolution? I'm going to start dating this year to glorify God in a relationship that pushes me closer to him. That I'm going to date somebody that could push me closer to God and I could push them closer to God. What if that was your perspective? What if that was your resolution? Uh, what, I'm going to experience new things. Awesome. I, in fact, I'm a big experience person. Life is an adventure. Even like garbagey moments can be an adventure. Adventure doesn't start till something goes wrong. And so for those of you who feel like life goes wrong, you're full of adventure. But I'm going to experience new things in 2018. Great, make that your goal, but, but have this caveat. So that the adventure of my life is packed with, pe with new people, new places, and new experiences of representing him well and living in deepening gratitude. What if 2018 was a year where you stepped out to do things that you're freaked out to do right now, but that mattered for eternity? What if, what if we're not just praying for Nick up here and Pastor Dave next year. But what if it's you going to Haiti? What, what, if, what if you're someone who's like, man, I've been playing my faith with my cards super close to the chest, but I, I want to make a bold statement of it. I don't know how. I want to challenge you to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized yet, follow Jesus in that. Go on that website. Sign up. Talk to me after. I'll help you figure out how to do that. But be the person who's taking steps of adventure that are deepening your perspective. Recognize the people that are in your life. Surround yourself with people that are pushing you closer to God's goals for you. Secondly, be the type of person that, that is connecting and affixing to your goals God's mission and God's perspective. And thirdly, remember that our peace rests in Christ's resolute nature, not ours. New Year's 2018 does not depend on your perfection. 2018 does not depend on your ability to accomplish all of your goals, godly or otherwise. Do you know why? Because our faith rests on the fact that Jesus, his resolute nature is better than ours. Maybe to put it differently, because Jesus is our king and our perfection, we have a better standard for improvement and a better cushion when we fail. We have more of a drive to say change needs to happen here because of Jesus. He is perfect, and we're called to follow his lead. And so in all the drama in our relationships, 
2018 could be the fertile ground. We could say, I'm following Jesus. I want him to be more alive in my life. That changes how I talk to my spouse, changes how I talk to my parents, changes how I interact with my friends. But when I fail, and I will, and you will too, Jesus, the one who's our standard for improvement, is also the most grace-filled cushion for us because it is by the nature that we fail that he draws us nearer to him and reminds us that his sacrifice paid it all. Jesus did, in fact, pay it all. Amen? One of the things that we do to remind ourselves of that fact is to come to the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's table is, is communion. is simply something for people who are Christians. If you're a Christian, whether this is your church or it's not your church, this is a table that is open to you. This is a table that actually gives you the opportunity to claim together what we have in common through Christ. 